Welcome to episode 13 of the Creative Wellbeing Podcast, a series of real and raw conversations supporting the connection with your unique creative voice to inspire a fulfilling and beautiful life. I'm Jess Fitzgibbon, a musician, writer, and creative mentor. Today, I chat with my close friend, Wayne Forbes, about the rich, creative lives of children and how we can so often lose touch with our innate creativity and sense of play as we get older. Wayne is a bitter pie man, born and raised on Awabakal country and living and working on Eora country. He is a primary school teacher and is learning to re-harness his creative energy and channel it into fulfilling and rewarding creative pursuits. Wayne is also an aspiring author and illustrator. Today, we discuss how we can support both ourselves and the children in our lives to encourage the creative living and play that so often our societal systems are ill-equipped to nurture. We hope you enjoy the episode. I'm so excited <laughs> about this. Yes, and it's like we're all cozied up in the rainy weather. Cozy, cozy boy. At our favorite house. <laughs> I know. Well, it's because of the design of this place. Do you know, I was laying in that bed yeah. looking at the slope because the roof slopes back yeah. in that other room. And yeah. And I was like, it's just so beautiful. You know how much I love 70s design. Yeah, You exactly. know how much I love it. And I do. This is no <laughs> exception. <laughs> um. So... Where do we start? Maybe tell me about, like, I don't think I've ever asked you this question, which is strange, why you became a teacher. (sighs) Is that like a huge question? Well, yeah, but do you know what I find really interesting? There's two parts to it. Why did you become a teacher? And then why do you stay a teacher? Yeah, okay, I'd love to hear both parts. Um, Sure. So why did I become a teacher? I think in large part I became a teacher because my mum was a teacher and I always looked at it and I always thought I could do that and uh, it's fun. I think like if you want to be a teacher, you've got to enjoy, you've got to enjoy it and Mm. um, yeah, it has to be something that you want to do Mm. and I always tell people who don't want to do it anymore, leave, Mm. get out. It's not worth doing it because the job sucks. (laughs) There is, there's no two ways about it and if you don't enjoy that part of it anymore, it's like being a nurse or a cop. Like I look at that and I'm like, absolutely. Can I swear? Yeah. No fucking way. (laughs) (laughs) I think almost everyone asks you that at the beginning of each podcast too. Oh, true, yeah. Um, Yeah, like I look at those things and I'm like, no, for that money? No way. And I think a lot of people do that with teaching as well. So if you don't have that love for it, it's not there. And I think it's something that's intrinsic in you. One of the big reasons that I became a teacher is because I like... I like different challenges. Mm. I've worked in an office before mm. and let me tell you, <laughs> I am not designed no, no, for no, an no. office space. <laughs> Sit down at this desk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this screen. Okay. <laughs> and keep working without interruption. <laughs> That's just not me. Yeah. Um, so I like the... It's really funny because for a world that's built around bells Mm. and built around routine so much, Mm. it's dynamic and it's an ever-changing space. And Mm. the kids that you've got today are not the same group of kids that you've got tomorrow. And the kids that you've got at the beginning of the year are different to the kids that you've got at the end of the year. Yeah. And so every while it is built on routine to a large extent, Mm. um, I need that type of 
dynamicism. Yeah. Is that the right word? I don't know. I make up words on this all the time. Okay, so <laughs> uh, that, that type of um, dynamicism, it's a perfectly yeah. cromulent word. It, it, yeah, it, that's something that I need in my life. And it's really interesting is that because I get that from work, I think there's a calmness that comes into my personal mm. life from it because I'm not seeking extra stimulation. And yeah. as you know, mm. I require a lot of stimulation <laughs> to, to get through the day. Yeah. So that's why I became a teacher. Um, and I think, you know, Originally, I was originally I looked at it, and there's so much in my life that I've achieved, and so much that I've that I've done, and so many opportunities that were opened up to me because of education. Mm. And um, that was why I wanted to be a public school teacher. I say that being privately schooled myself, mm. mm-hmm. uh, and I recognise just how lucky I was to receive that, particularly now working in the public system, mm. um, which. Plug for that system is amazing <laughs> mm. and we achieve better results than any private school for 70 cents on the dollar. That's amazing. So, yeah, well, yeah. even less than 70 cents yeah. on the dollar. Yeah. dollar. So, yeah, like, you know, it is an amazing system and I'm actually really proud to keep working for that. Yeah. The second part of the question is why? Why you why stay? Do you, yeah, yeah, why do you stay a teacher? I actually don't know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you need to do some soul searching tonight. <laughs> I like. I think I've gone to walk away from it seriously twice. Okay. Uh, the first time I stayed because I ended up going to a different school. Yeah. And it's amazing the differences, you know, between local schools, yeah. or between primary schools and high schools. Yeah. And you know, I've been fortunate enough um, to again talking about that dynamic work environment I, because I work for such a large organization mm. I've worked in lots of different schools I've worked in a consulting role with them as well where I've gone from preschools right up to year 12 schools yeah. I've worked in high schools I've worked in primary schools I've worked in central schools I've worked in country schools and, and city schools I've worked in school like we have these things called schools for specific purposes yeah. so like behavioral schools autism okay. schools you've done it all doll yeah it's there you know and so <laughs> so I like that and I think that's probably why I stay and honestly at the moment why I'm staying is like my goal is that I want to run the entire institution <laughs> of course you do because I think there are some really great changes to make yeah. and um I think oh god okay you're ready for it <laughs> yeah say it does get a bit deep I had my boss ask me why why do you why have you set this goal for yourself mm. it's like what do you think and I'm like we're gonna take it we're gonna zoom out a little bit mm. here Having having a quality publicly funded education system is central to a lot of things, and yeah. I think it's central to people's economic development. And I know that I know that money is not the most important thing, but it's a fucking important yeah. thing. Relationships are the most important thing. Money yeah. is the second most important thing. And people who say that it's not important have enough of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the only way to get enough of it for most people is to make sure that they've got a quality education. Mm. So there's that. The second thing is I think it contributes to your national well-being. And Mm. you and I were discussing this Mm. about how schools are so well-placed to help look after people's well-being. Mm. And not only that, but like as as the world changes and and as parenting changes, schools are a great vehicle to help Mm. guide communities, you know, not just kids but their parents as well. Mm. And I also think that, you know, you look at around globally and democracy is under attack Mm. and you look at those countries that that have – that that are attacking democracy and um, what they don't have are 
quality public school systems that are available mm. to everyone that aren't aren't directed by the government, you mm. know. And so, like, they've got to be available to all, so that's why they've got to be publicly funded, but they can't be publicly controlled mm. by a few people in power. And, look, I'm gay and mixed race. Trust me, systems that aren't democracy do not work <laughs> out well for people like me. Yeah. And so that's why that's another reason that I think that I say it's really, really important to me that that... Mm. Yeah, that structure. It's like a such an important sort of foundation of society, I guess. And it sounds like you look at it with this like really big picture in mind. But you've also told me before how much you love being in the classroom and how I know this year you'll, it's the first year you won't be like with a class. But what is it about like being in the classroom in front of primary kids that have sort of, I don't know, inspired you to do it for so long? At uni, we had a lecturer. Actually, and I'm going to go off on a tangent mm-hmm. about this woman mm-hmm. who I love. Yeah. She, the last time I heard of her, she was the deputy dean at uh-huh. Newcastle University. Uh-huh. She is this phenomenal go-getter um, and so smart. And so she was the head of education when I was there. And mm-hmm. I was lucky enough that she was teaching a tutorial. And mm-hmm. I'm like, register. <laughs> um, and her and I her and I just vibed quite a lot. Um and she she put it in the best possible way. And I've, I've spoken to so many teachers about this and everyone agrees mm. with me. She's like, education is broken up into three parts in Australia. Early childhood education, primary education, mm. and then high school or, or adult education. Mm. She's like, this is, this is the type of people who go into everything. Um, high school teachers look at their subject and they're like, if everyone loved my subject as much as I love my subject... There would be no problems in the world. If everyone had the same passion that I have for this, everything would be fine. And it, and it is kind of true. And early childhood educators always look at kids and they're like, I just love seeing little kids grow up and they, they move from being babies into being little people. Mm. And they love seeing that. And she says, every single primary school teacher on some level, no matter how deep down it is, just wants everyone to stop what you're doing and look at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so there's a whole lot of narcissists in primary school teachers is that what you're saying now think think about the type of people we know who are teachers think about the people we know who have moved from being high school teachers to primary school teachers and vice versa that's so funny it's yeah and so yeah that's and i look and it's look it is a little bit tongue-in-cheek it's probably true on some level as well so that is brilliant i love that it's so went somewhere i wasn't expecting um so we're talking about like creativity and it's like we have a lot of conversations around creativity and it's interesting to see it from like an educational perspective, especially as a child, because so many exercises when you're doing like creative exercises as an adult, it's like, remember when you were a child, what did you like doing as a child? And it was a time where we didn't have any inhibitions, like the imagination was just, I guess it's the brainwave state you're at as well. Yeah. But what do you think it is about children that just, I don't know, that is very innately creative and able to live in that space daily. It's so funny that you talk about, like, doing these exercises Mm. as adults and you always get asked, think back to when you were a kid, right? So there's a couple of reasons for this. I think, like, in in general, kids have not been 
fucked over by the world just mm. yet. Yeah. So there's there's an innate curiosity there mm. um, to the point where if kids aren't curious, they get referred to doctors and get diagnosed with, with issues. You know, there's a developmental delay. So that curiosity is so so ingrained in us as, as like, and it's and it's biological. You know, like that that's part of our evolutionary process. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that kids are so. They, like they're so uh, do, you, do you know about neuroplasticity and yeah. how the brain works they're so like they've got so much neuroplasticity mm. they're still making connections mm. um you know their brains are firing off in so many different ways which if you think about it is is that's what creative thinking is mm. it, it's being divergent from from the ways that you've been taught or, or the structures that already exist mm. it's about trying to operate outside of that box yeah and that's what kids do they mm. operate outside of that box on a daily basis yeah so creativity comes naturally to them and mm. it's interesting because sometimes the biggest issue is harnessing that yeah and directing that energy yeah. you know so it, it, i think that's why everyone gets asked to think back to when they're kids because kids naturally do it they haven't learned yet and they don't have those brain way those brain pathways locked in yet mm. of this is how I behave, this is how I solve a problem, this is how I approach this, mm. this is how I talk to people, whatever it is, they're so creative. And that's why kids are funny because yeah. they, they come out with pearlers that yeah. Yeah, that's so shady true. little bitches sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they, I guess they haven't formed the habits and the sort of, um, yeah, they're not so deeply conditioned yet that they're, the way they strategize, well, that's they're not strategizing, but you know what I mean, like the way they think of a problem the options are just endless yeah and it's yeah. sort of a lot more I guess instinctual and using their intuition I guess but it's crazy like a lot of parents will be like I learned so much from my kids and it's interesting because at schools do you think we're teaching kids how to use their creativity like well and how to harness it and how does it compare to like when you were schooled what the curriculum's like these days like it's hard like any any school is hard you go to a school with two teachers and it's two completely different ways of teaching yeah. because it, and I think you know sometimes these conversations around schools and around education are tough to have because people forget that at the heart of all of teaching and education are individuals there are people yeah. you know it's people centered and how do you yeah. make a policy or a program that mm. works for everyone yeah I think on the whole probably no a lot of schools don't set people up but then you know you look at some of the alternative schools like a Steiner school for yeah. example where kids are encouraged to be creative mm. um, some of the individual schools in the states and they're privately run uh, but some of the individual schools in the states that you know the kids direct the learning and they figure out what they want to do and they say well I want to learn to read about this thing so they'll go and get another kid to help them those type of schools and I think sometimes people talk about those as if they're not going to deliver um, educational outcomes for kids or they're not going to set kids up for the workforce but I think they're probably not going to set kids up to work in a factory style workforce or to work in an office before you yeah. know like, like I was talking about before but those kids would be amazing teachers yeah or they'd probably be great scientists if yeah. they had a key interest and they wanted to do those things that you know it teaches key skills like collaboration mm. uh, it teaches kids to think outside the box to work with others on all of those things mm. So I think like there are schools that do do it really well and then there are people within the public system mm. who do that really, really well. Yeah. But they're probably few and far between. Mm. That's not like on the whole, people will tell you that's not our job. Our job revolves around well-being, literacy and numeracy. That's yeah. it. But, you know, I always find that you, you go and ask kids and, and we do this multiple times a year. We sit down with the kids and we, we say, what's your favourite thing about school? What do you like doing? Mm. And easily, easily half of the kids will talk about 
um, Matt, uh, they'll talk about, sorry, um, like art, mm. music, dance, anything mm. like that. If we've put on a show that semester, yeah. anything like that, they will talk about that and work with. The other fun thing that they like to work with is maths mm. because um, in the early years in particular, it is create. Yeah. Like creativity that you use yeah. to solve those problems and, and we're harnessing that creative thinking as well. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. Like I think creativity is not just art. <laughs> like every subject you have to – you can apply that creative mindset too. Um, so with the – you were talking before about like the structure. Do you have – like do you see kids perform better in these structured environments – with the with the routines I've heard a lot of people say oh kids thrive on routine or do you think because creativity works from a different like you need a certain level of structure to yeah. be free so how do you feel with the like the structure of things does that help with them being more creative like having art once a week or you know yeah, it's so predictability works as yeah. well with that, like the, and that comes with part of the routine. The thing about routine, so yes, in answer to the question, yeah. yes, routine. And if look, I say this without having any kids, so yeah. you know, I, I cast zero judgment onto yeah. parents yeah. who are struggling with this or, or whatever, you know, who don't have any idea, or to any teachers as well. Yeah. You know, I'm by no means an expert on yeah. this. This is just me talking yeah. from experience. Yeah. Um, like so, basically. Kids like routine and kids like predictability because um, there's safety in routine and predictability. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that kids who don't have routine and don't have predictability will push and push and push until their parents snap. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because they don't know where the boundaries lie. Mm -hmm. So they don't feel safe until they know exactly where those boundaries mm -hmm. lie. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a natural response. There's a whole bunch of research into why that works mm -hmm. and how the brain operates with that, particularly with kids. So routine is incredibly important. The funny thing is, once you have those boundaries set up, and it is hard to establish firm boundaries. I yeah. don't don't dis, don't dispute yeah. that, and it's hard to maintain them and hard to keep them. But once you've got that, and the kids in my classroom always know, like the first term, it is always like you walk in two lines, you come in and you sit down here. And if I tell you to sit in this spot here, you don't sit three centimetres off it. <laughs> you sit in this exact spot here, yeah. like I told you to. Yeah. I ask you to do things once and once only. That's mm. it. Mm. Um, and I think like kids are like, oh God, he's so strict. Mm. But then they know exactly what's expected mm. and they know what to do. Mm. And then by the end of term one, um, my kids basically have free reign in mm. the classroom. Mm. So, you know, once we've got those routines set up, it's mm. like, okay, well, we're going to do some art. What do you want to do? Mm. Or we're going, we're doing maths and we've got to do number work. Do you want to work up here? Do you want to work down there? Like they, mm. they know the routine and mm. they know the structure so mm. well. So they get to explore. Mm. And that's something that schools are set up for, that homes probably aren't set up for a little bit more, mm. is once we've got that routine in place... I then have the rest of the year to let your kid go and explore and mm. experiment mm. and make mistakes and mm. figure out what works and maybe try on a different personality that doesn't work for mm. them, you know, all of those things that work. Mm. And it's hard to do that. Like if you pick up your kid from aftercare at 5.30 of an afternoon and then mm. you get home and you've got to try and shower them and feed them and do mm. their homework and do their reader and everything, mm. you're lucky to have an hour with them. Yeah. And it's hard to – like I recognise how difficult that is yeah. for families to do. Mm. But not impossible. Yeah, and but maybe that's why having structure at school then is it gives them that 
you know, routine somewhere in their life that they can, yeah. And like the best parents that I see have really simple routines. And Mm. again, you can ask your teachers at school this and if they don't help you, ask another Mm. one. Mm. But you can say, I just need something printed out Mm. where it's like, on Mondays, I go to swimming, mm. I come home and I get changed, I do my home reader, mm. um, and but you can just have visuals put up and you print that thing out, mm. you print the weekly routine out mm. and you stick it to the fridge mm. and you put in there, like have an hour of creative screen t- screen free time, yeah. you know, like go and do that type of stuff. Yeah. You can build it in and you'd be surprised how young kids can be mm. to get, four, if a four-year-old can pack their lunch and pack their bag, yeah. like an eight-year-old can 100% come home from school by themselves and entertain themselves for a few hours yeah um you know and again it's about the predictability and the routine if they know that they come home do x y and z Mm. have dinner and then after dinner it's Mm. screen free time for everyone Mm. can i make a plug on that yeah parents (laughs) always ask yeah what's the best thing i can possibly do for my kid the best thing you can possibly do for your kids education in general like whether that's creativity reading writing making friends whatever the best thing you can have is at least an hour preferably more, but an hour of uninterrupted screen-free time. No phones, no iPads, no TVs, nothing. Play board games, read books, Mm. talk, draw. Mm. Um, If you own your house, paint a wall. Like Mm. paint, it doesn't matter. You can paint over it. Build something in the backyard, but an hour of screen-free time a day Mm. will totally transform what Mm. you do with your kids. What do you see like, you know, the, the effects of screens having on children's development and just their general happiness? A screen is like, look, I, and granted, look, oh, sorry, I just sorry. whacked the mic. I'm so excited and <laughs> gay hands flying everywhere. Um, the thing about screens, right, is they're, they're a tool. And this is what I used to, because I used to go and consult about technology yeah. in schools. That was, that was my job. And I used to tell people all the time, like a knife is such a fantastic tool. Yeah. It allows you to do so many wonderful things. And mm. none of us could imagine living without a knife right now, mm. but it can also be used to do some incredibly horrific things mm. to other people if it's used incorrectly. Mm. But no one's sitting here talking about banning knives <laughs> from houses. No one's sitting here talking about banning knives being in schools. Yeah. What we do is we teach kids at an appropriate age, at an appropriate time, mm. how to use this tool correctly. Yeah. What do we do with it? What do we not do with it? How do we store it safely? All yeah. of those things. Yeah. Technology is just, it's, it's like a car. Yeah. It's anything. And so like there's no research to suggest that gaming or anything like that um, increases violent behavior in mm. kids. The biggest issue that we see is kids playing age inappropriate games mm-hmm. on screens. Yeah. And you've got to remember a kid who is under the age of seven and really to be safe, you should say eight cannot distinguish between reality mm. and fiction. Yeah. That's why they can play. And that's why mm. their imagination works so well. Yeah. And if they're playing a game like Fortnite, where it's a shoot 'em up type thing and mm. they should be playing like a Spyro the dragon, find a crystal thing, mm. you know, like that, those kids have such higher levels of adrenaline. They Mm. can't sleep properly. You Mm. know, like the ratings are there for a reason. Mm. That's probably the biggest thing. But again, it's not the screen itself. Mm. It's It's the game that's playing. You're using the tool incorrectly. Yeah, because I think that's the thing. People are like, oh, now there's all these iPads at schools and how is that affecting them? But it's really about like, you know, what's on it. So if they're doing educational things, like how's it different from a textbook sort of thing? You're looking down at a piece of material. Exactly. And do you know what? I remember reading this book um, in Italy in this old house. Some people found a whole bunch of old papers uh, and they were the diaries of a merchant who lived in... 
Prato, a city in um, a city in Italy, and yeah. it was like a really central city. It was up the top of northern Italy, and so they sailed all around Europe trading things. And um, in this guy kept meticulous records of his day to day life, and mm. it turns out actually funny story. He was a bit of an asshole as well, <laughs> particularly to his wife. But um, one of the things that he was talking about, and so like these were discovered in like 1995 Uh or something like that, but they were written in the, from 1450 until about 1550, like it sort of spanned that hundred year period. And he took his ships eastward over into what I assume is around Croatia, somewhere around there now. Um, And there was a brand new piece of technology that had come out. And one of the old merchants was complaining and he's like, this new piece of technology that's come out, it's ridiculous. People can't remember things anymore. They don't know what's going on. They've yeah. always got to have this thing on them and they can't live without it. Yeah. What a joke. Can't believe this younger generation. And that piece of technology was bound paper in a book. <laughs> um, and people were starting to – because prior to that, mm. you couldn't write things down because yeah. paper was expensive. Yeah. And so um, you had to remember everything and there was there was an art mm. in remembering your trade and remembering the people that you traded with and what price you got last year and the year before that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you see this – that happened in 1490-something, yeah. you know. And you see it, it happened with comic books yeah. originally and then it happened with cartoons mm. on television and then it happened with Game Boys. This fear of something new yeah. and of yeah. being like really dangerous. And, and bad parenting yeah. is always bad parenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not supervising yeah. your kids with yeah. that technology, then yeah. that's on you, yeah, you know. That's so and true. look, again, zero shade yeah. in dumping your kids in front of the TV. Yeah. But do remember there's a difference between dumping your kids in front of the TV, which is programmed by an adult with Mm. with suitable things for kids Mm. to see and just letting the YouTube algorithm run through. Yeah. Huge difference. Yeah. Uh, Do you want a machine raising your kid or do you want an adult who's programming it with child specific stuff? Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, there are shades of grey in this whole area. I could talk about this for hours. Yeah. yeah, Sorry, (laughs) we'll we'll get back back on topic. Oh, good. Um, So, yeah, I guess like I want to talk a bit about play because I think adults struggle with play and we're so good at it as children And I always hear, you know, teachers especially say how important it is for kids to be playing. What is it about play and how can, like, how can we, what do you see also with adults? Like, do you think it's still important in adulthood to be fostering that? 100%. I mean, yeah, I guess people listening probably don't know that how, how large play is in my life. Yeah. Like I, I yeah, it, it's, it's such a fun thing. And I think working with kids helps, like it's perfectly yeah. acceptable for me to yeah. dress up in some weird costume and put weird things in my hair. And do you yeah. know what, if I turned up to school like that, kids wouldn't question it <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's a, it's a fun thing. And that yeah. that's part of my life, you know, yeah. but a large part of that being an adult in play, I'm going to answer your question. Yeah backwards um i think a large part of play in in adulthood is unlearning the shame yeah. that goes with it because i think it, it for me it was around being a teenager i probably still wanted to play right up into my 20s mm. i reckon like in in some in some capacity do i want to play with toys mm. no although if I'm super baked, <laughs> yes. Like it, it's fun. It's yeah. fun playing with kids yeah. with kids in that state of mind. But even now on my journey with sobriety, I know that I don't need to be like that. It's mm. around unlearning, unlearning that. So I think if people take a real deep 
examination and it can be very uncomfortable to be mm. like, well, do you feel guilty if you play? Mm. Do you feel ashamed if you play because it's too childish? Mm. And where does that come from? Mm. And for me, it definitely came from being a teen and not wanting to be a kid anymore. I wanted to be a grown-up. Yeah. And talking to other adults around it, um, similar things, you know, like it developed at quite a young age, this guilt or, or, or this... Self-consciousness, um, I think, too. Like I actually find it hard to play with my nephew sometimes because it just feels silly. And I think there's this sense of even though I'm with a small child, it's I feel exposed and it's, yeah, I guess growing up, you, you, you know, your peers at a certain age, it's, it's like a, a pressure to be grown up even though you're still a child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and your brain's not formed until you're 25, yeah. you know, so you're still learning and growing up until yeah. that age. Um, and yeah, so, but look, if, if, if anyone is lucky enough to have kids in their life and play, mm. my suggestion to you to, to really experiment with this mm. is for one or two lines of the game, just fully commit yeah. Yeah. into your character, fully, fully let go and fully dive into it. Yeah. And you'll see the kids like properly engage like yeah. that. And there's joy on their face as you do these things. If you're going to be a monster and chase them properly be a monster like yeah. make yourself big <laughs> use your voice yeah if you're going to be a shop if you're going to be a customer be a fun customer yeah. you know where yeah. we're up on the north shore at the moment be be a super rich north shore <laughs> mum you know like do it have fun with yeah. the character you can yeah. you can do these things and watch the kids come to life and i think as you do it they will give you permission yeah to do it as well yeah i, I think like adult to adult play I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what the solution is because aside from – but, I mean, if you put adults who enjoy having a good time mm. and, and don't have too many barriers up, mm. put them in an arcade, put yeah. them in a VR setting, you yeah. know, where you've got to chase around. People enjoy it. Yeah. It, it's fun. I think – I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation here. Men tend to be better at it than women. Yeah. And you see that through gaming. Men are quite yeah. happy to get lost in that. Yeah. But – you know, using, I think there's a big part about using your body to play mm. and, and connecting that. I don't think that screen play is the same. Mm. It's the same as that. Kids, why do kids play? Mm. Um, kids play because, again, it's an evolutionary purpose. Mm. Every single mammal, mm. and there is not an exception to this rule, every single mammal in the world learns what to do and how to behave through play mm. it's how kids experiment with with being an adult and growing up mm. and you know like i know i've spoken with lots of people about kids being sponges they will absorb your mannerisms your tone of voice the way you interact with people and i was talking to you about this earlier you mm. know about when at school when kids see adults having a genuine interaction mm. not like a an in front of kids interaction mm. but like a genuine interaction mm. about the most boring mm. mundane things they stop what they're doing and they look and they listen because they, they're trying to learn. Mm. And the funny thing is, if you if you can, and anyone with kids at home has probably seen this, mm. their kids copy the phrases that they use, mm. they copy the um, they copy the things that they do. And so that's that's why kids like to use play. Mm. And there's no reason why an adult can't can't get in there and do it. Mm. Um, what's interesting as well is kids who struggle with play probably do have a lot of screen time mm. and they don't know how to use that imagination. Mm. So they're not quite sure how to interact with people or, or what to do. And I think that builds up anxiety, mm. but play is such an important part of mm. what we do. I guess it's almost like you have to take a bit of a risk with play, um, but as a child, you probably don't feel like there's high stakes and doesn't feel risky because, yeah. like you said, your imagination and reality, you don't really know what's what at that age. Um, 
but this idea of um, getting lost in a moment and it's just that presence that comes as well from being um, in play that you don't get when you're kind of in your mind having to, you know, be more analytical. The closest thing that I reckon you could get to it as an adult with, with a safety net yeah. is reading. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Reading fiction. Yeah. Um, where you're totally lost in a story. Mm. Like if you don't have anything on that afternoon, you know, you can get an hour just to sit down and read a book. Yeah. I mean, look, all tea, all shade to people who are like, I don't read. I'm like, mm. why? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like it, it's such a fun thing to do. But yeah, adults should 100% play. Yeah. Definitely. Get together with your mates. And if you yeah. need to, have a couple of drinks or have a couple of your chosen poisons yeah. and, and play. Play a game. Yeah. Do something that that's that's fun and interesting. And like... I think sometimes people get stuck in this idea that, oh, like little kids will play shop or houses mm. or schools or, or, or soldiers, whatever whatever it is that they're playing. Like we don't need to play that type mm. of game, mm. but go, go and enjoy a game with, yeah. with people. Go and like there are rules and characters. Go and just dress up as someone else. Go and be someone. It's fun. Yeah, role play. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. What do you think like kids need the most from – the adults around them to be kind of flourishing when they enter their teenage years and into adulthood, especially in terms of expressing themselves authentically? Yeah. Do you know what? It's a resource that you can never create more of and it's time. Yeah. Um, You know, I said before, a four-year-old can pack their bag. They can and it's going to take half an hour, 40 minutes to Mm. do but do you have that time of a morning, mm. you know? Um, so often we look at what kids are doing, whether whether that's, you know, educationally or play or social, whatever it is, particularly social. Yeah. Um, we look at kids going through and we can see them struggling and they're not quite sure what to do. Are they going to make a mistake and maybe they'll do that? What you've got to understand is that for for a kid – taking an hour to do something or taking taking three or four goes mm. to do something to getting it right, perfectly normal, perfectly mm. natural. That's how we learn. And again, this is why I said schools are set up for it. We've got time dedicated mm. to this. Mm. How can we teach kids to read and write? Because they sit there and they mm. make mistakes every single day for mm. 20 minutes, half mm. an hour a day yeah. doing these things. Yeah. And at home, it can be so, again, because you want to get things done. Like, yeah. I get it. You've got washing to do, you've got cleaning to yeah. do, and you've got emails to answer, and you've got all this other stuff going on. Mm. It's hard for mm. parents. Mm. Um, but time, giving kids time to make the mistakes. When when we came back from COVID and I was working with a great team at mm. the school I was at, our kids had no idea how to play. Mm-hmm. They had no idea how to interact with each other. They didn't know how to start a game. They didn't know how to set up rules, all of this stuff. So we spent a term teaching them every single day. We'd go through – and it started with, like, reading body cues. Mm. Um, this is how you ask someone to play. This is how you invite someone into a game. Mm. This is how you set up the rules of a game. This mm. is how you set up the rules when there's 15 of you. How are you going to decide who is making the rules? Mm. This is how you kick someone out of a game if they don't <laughs> follow the rules. All of this stuff. Mm. And then we would take them out for sport mm. and we'd get a whole bunch of equipment out. We're like, free play on the equipment. You can do whatever you like. Yeah. Um, you can only come to us as a last resort. Yeah. And one of the hardest things to do was sit and watch. And you would see kids. like we, I remember one day there was this kid swinging this cricket bat around and I'm like, 
he's going to hit a kid. And so Mm. you do, you go over and hover. Mm. And the first thing you want to do is like, don't swing that around. It's not safe. Get your teacher voice on. Um, But then like the other kids turn around like, no, don't do that. Like, and they had an argument. Mm. And then one of the kids said, well, you're not playing by the rules. And we've asked you three times, which was the rule that we had set up. And he's like, I I want the cricket bat. And the kid (laughs) came up and said, oh, this kid was, was mucking around Mm. with this. Oh, thank you. And it's like, and look, look, that story only took two minutes, but that was yeah. 10 minutes of me watching and hovering yeah. and you're like, oh God, when do I go in? When do I go in? Yeah. And you would see it all the time. Like you'd see kids sitting on the side of a game mm. and you're like, I just want to go in and say, do you need help to mm. get involved with mm. that? Um, you know, and then but other kids would come out and they would help. And it's, they run on kid time. They yeah. don't run on adult time. Yeah. They're, look, if they're seven, they don't have an idea what 3.30 is. Yeah. Like they don't yeah. care. Yeah. Um, and so that's the biggest thing that parents can do is, is give kids time to yeah. figure this stuff out if you can. Yeah. So not to rush through everything. Yeah. Which yeah. adults have a great um... tendency. Because <laughs> we're, we're great. Tick, 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 tick everything yeah. off the list, you yeah. know, and it's. And you have to be in some capacity to be mm. to be a good parent. Otherwise, you wouldn't have groceries. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, giving kids the time and the space. Mm. And what I will say is particularly with anything creative, mm. and remember that most things that kids do are creative, creative yeah. you're better off to have one and a half things done really, really well mm. than to have five things, like to have music lessons and reading and, and yeah. the room cleaned and everything. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like – I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret here. <laughs> At the end of the day, no one cares if your kid does their home reader. Yeah, okay. Right? Like if, if it's going to be a battle, let them play. Let them go and do stuff. Mm. It doesn't matter if your kid becomes an independent reader at the end of year two or the end of year four. Mm. All that matters is that they do it, mm. right? And, again, this is about ticking them off this list. So what if they're behind? Mm. So are they loved? Are they having a good time? Like mm. their report card doesn't tell you if, you know, if they're nice to kids and it doesn't tell you if um, they bounce back from disappointment. It doesn't mm. tell you if they include other kids in their game. Mm. Like their reading level doesn't give you any of that. Mm. So, you know, like if it comes down to – doing their home reader or doing their homework Mm. and you can say to your school I'm not doing that Mm. I'm not doing anything at home I'm going to leave all of that to you you can 100% do that particularly if you're doing things that your kid loves like if you're Mm. building a cubby house Mm. or something like that or you've got costumes out and you're all having a great time Mm. don't read that's that's lame go go and enjoy (laughs) that time with your kids like get lost in those moments and do it because your kids, when you ask them later in life what they remember, mm. they're not going to remember that time that you showed them how to do yeah. five plus three and count yeah. on on their fingers. But yeah. they'll remember that time that you put on a sheet around your shoulders and put on a crown and became yeah. the king in their game. Like, yeah. they'll, they'll remember things like that. Yeah. So, you know, and, and again, like I recognise that that's a best case situation and mm. sometimes you don't have time to do that. Mm. You know, maybe you don't have half an hour up your sleeve to run around and, and just be a bit of a fool. But mm. yeah. if you can, give your kids the time to figure out all of this stuff on their own. Yeah. Um, when you look at people, like a lot of, um, you know, really successful people in this world will say that they didn't do well in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what can you recognize kids like that when they're young and sort of just see like what is it about their personality or their life or what's going on for them that creates this more because I think the word creativity can be used in so many different ways and it'd be good for you to define what it means to you but it's like 
Creativity can be seen as an act of rebellion sometimes. <laughs> well, okay, it's so yeah. interesting that you say that. Yeah. I, I'm going to jump back to my definition because yeah. I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> That's um, right. So you've got so schools in particular. Um, do, do you know the history of school, like why schooling was started? Not really. So uh, let me take you on a journey. <laughs> um, the Industrial Revolution yeah. happened um, and over over a relatively short amount of time, like over one generation, yeah. people went from working in small shops and in, and in farms, like mm. a lot of um, agriculture, mm. um, it, people moved out of that and they moved into cities mm. and started working in factories. And government realised pretty quickly that the only way to maintain competitiveness in this area was to have factory workers trained mm. in what they in how to how to behave at yeah. work because before that you could you could negotiate with your boss like there was never there was never large scale employment it mm. just didn't exist mm. so you know like you could talk to your mates in the field and like if you needed time off to go and do something go and talk yeah. to someone you could do it. I mean yeah. granted life was incredibly different yeah. and hard back then yeah. you know so there wasn't wasn't the urgency that there is now yeah. but um, you know, your workplace environment was quite fluid. You could negotiate days off, like you could work things out. Or similarly, your boss could say, I need you here now. Mm. And if you don't do this, then the whole thing goes under and you don't have work. So mm. you'd get in there and yeah. do it, you know, and it went two ways. And I, like, you know, life was hard though. Like mm. work was incredibly hard. I don't, don't have any illusions about that. So then the industrial revolution happened and, um, People in power, and you've got to remember government at that time, it was before the big uh, revolutions yeah. for most of the world with democracy. Government at that time was largely made up of business owners. Yeah. Uh, and they went, well, what are we going to do? Mm. How, how do we make this work? And so um, like large-scale education became um, became an idea. And the idea was that you needed to train workers to to come into the factory so school started at 9am because that's what time mm. factories started. Um, and so like you lined up out the front mm. and you were separated into men's and women's yeah. originally or boys and girls um, and you followed a set of routines. And if you even look up at the original makeup of those classrooms, mm. um, they were set up in rows because that's what the factories mm. looked like. The original schools were set up in benches because everyone worked shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Then they got changed into rows as everyone got individual machines. And so they ran to a bell schedule. You know, you ate, you eat at this time. Whereas mm. before, if you were working in the field, you'd work, you'd work, you'd mm. work, you'd work. And is everyone hungry? No, nah, not yet. Like, okay, well, yeah. we'll keep, we're all hungry. We'll have a break, and mm. then we'll have a nap, and then we'll go in. Yeah. It was fluid, right? Yeah. It was, it was people centric. Yeah. Uh, and then you get into, then you started to get this. Uh, an interesting fact: the only large scale government run institution before schools. Yeah were prisons. Okay. And guess what schools were modelled on? <laughs> prisons. Of course. <laughs> a central courtyard yeah. that allowed you to supervise large populations wow. at a time with minimal people. Yeah. And it allowed you it allowed the people in control to maintain control. Yeah. So that's that's why you line up in the courtyard. Yeah. All of these things are hangovers from that. Yeah. So that was that was the original idea of schooling. As you move through 
you can see the changes that have come through. Mm. So um, even like, you know, even up into the 70s and 80s, there were still like rows of desks or individual mm. desks that went through. Then all of a sudden in the 90s, things started to change and we got groupings, you know, mm. and, and for you and me uh, and anyone our age, you would remember sitting at a group of tables yeah. and you might have done rotations, yeah. things like that. And that's because that's what work became. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, we were working in offices now. We weren't working in factories mm. anymore. And so we had pods of desks like that and you Mm. had to work around. So you still had to work by yourself, but you could talk to your neighbor a little bit. And now you look at schools that are getting built now. They're large, open plan, and they reflect what a modern office looks like. It's fluid. It's dynamic. You're meant to be able to work in multiple locations. You don't have a seat because you don't have a desk Mm. when you get through. It's all about people and collaboration. So schools have always been about um, preparing people for the workforce. The majority of schools still operate on that original model that it's for factory workers, essentially. Mm. And there's a joke amongst teachers. Like we, we get them, it's the, it's the adult factory. Mm. We bring them in, we get them <laughs> to do certain things and then we push them out and they're good to go, ready yeah. to work in whatever factory you want yeah. them to work in. So naturally that environment not only stifles creativity, yeah. but it is actively discouraged. Because, yeah. And that's why I was like, when you talk about creativity being an act of mm. rebellion, mm. have a think about the person who starts a company versus yeah. the person, the drone worker in mm. that company. Mm. Two entirely different people. Mm. Now, which one's going to perform really well in a classroom setting? Mm. The compliant kid who does everything that you ask without question and they just get it done and they'll, they'll just keep, they'll keep ticking off their list. Mm. Or the kid who goes, oh, actually, no, I'm going to try this thing and I'm going to try it in this way. And look, even me who likes that dynamicism mm. in, in my life struggles sometimes with those kids because we're not built to cater for it. Yeah. But you notice it immediately. And one of the saddest things that you see is over time in a school, you see sometimes how that creativity is beaten out of that kid, mm. um, you know, and look, I probably don't set them up for a lot of success in that regard because I let these kids not, I, I, I'm reluctant to use the phrase get away with what mm. they do, but I look, I let every kid in my classroom be themselves, do mm. whatever they want. As long as you're following our set of rules, mm. you've got to be safe, respectful learner. That's yeah. it. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, but you know, we've had, like, I've had, I think of one kid, he was a, such an amazing artist, mm. like, and he was seven, mm. six when I got him. Mm. And he did some of the most beautiful drawings. Couldn't read, couldn't write, uh, didn't care to learn. Mm. Every time, if, unless you were hovering over his shoulder, he wouldn't do it. Mm. But his ability to express complicated ideas mm. through drawing mm. was just mm. incredible. And sometimes I'd let him go. And like educationally, was that the best thing to do? Probably not, mm. you know. But you'd see him and he'd make these beautiful creations. And, and I would ask him, like, what, mm. tell me what's going on here. And he's mm. like, well, this is my internal monster and it's doing this thing and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I've done art therapy as an mm. adult and I can't produce that. Like, mm. I can't produce that level of knowledge, you yeah. know. And I think about that kid and I know that it was, like, beaten out of him, essentially, mm. that this is not an appropriate way for you to respond. How is it beaten out? Like, just because it's not given the space, like you're basically yeah. redirected back to the uniformity of Pavlovian this is the response. Yeah. Positive reward, yeah. negative reward. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's social conditioning. Yeah. It's how, how everything works. And, mm. you know, like this kid, love him. 
Um, he used to make he used to make jewelry. Mm, um, amazing. Which well, like, and and then he would give it to me, which naturally <laughs> I love. Um, and look, you know, I think like there's also like this kid was he was struggling with his gender. Um, there, there was obviously an element of queerness there mm. for me. Like I, I mean, maybe I'm just projecting, maybe he's not, you know, like there's totally fine. However, there was a lot of queer behavior yeah. in there. And of course I'm like, yeah, babe, do whatever you, you want to wear the Elsa dress. You wear the Elsa yeah. dress, but you got to walk like this in it. Um, <laughs> and, and he would do that. Um, but it was, and then I remember going back to visit the school again and I saw him and he was just so subdued. And I hope that our system doesn't break kids like that because imagine imagine if we had a system where we could say yeah like the reading and writing is important and Mm. you do still have to do that Mm. but you can express yourself through this medium and not just once a week like that that kid clearly was was gifted Mm. in that area Mm. and we let him down Mm. that we didn't didn't cater to that yeah and that's the system's fault it's not the individual teacher's fault because you're not set up with the you know support to really cater to individuality yeah and I think it's interesting like as an adult like you kind of go through this experience where you're almost unwinding all of the conditioning and it's kind of strange it's like I'm trying to get back to who I was when I was six years old and it's just it seems a bit like inefficient <laughs> for the system to kind of put you into a box. And then most of the time the workplace these days is rewarding creativity and is rewarding people who can grow. And I guess we need all types of people and all types of roles in society. But it's interesting that there isn't more um, diversity across the education system. It just, like I, I think it's making a move in that direction. Yeah. There's been a big push at the moment now, particularly through the gifted yeah. education program um, and high potential is like creative arts is, is and like your school is meant to have a policy of how do we cater for those kids. Yeah. But like, okay, great. We're meant to have a policy, and we all know that any policy only is 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 as good as its best enactment. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's so interesting because I think like. I actually think like socially and economically we're doing ourselves a huge disservice by focusing so much on on literacy and numeracy and not allowing kids to explore Mm. that stuff. Because as you said, you know, you spend your time as an adult trying to get back to it. And look, again, workplaces – and for anyone who says that schools are not about making kids ready for the workplace, that's an absolute lie. Um, That is is our role. Is that that capitalism essentially? Well, yeah – but, like, the whole point of this – otherwise, we wouldn't have it. Yeah. If you didn't need to be literate and numerate and socialised, mm. you wouldn't have school, yeah. right? And it, this is where we're doing the disservice because yeah. in order to get people ready for the workforce, we need people to be creative. Mm. But it's not free reign creativity no. either, you know. Not everyone can grow up to be an artist. No. It, it's that simple. And not everyone should. No, you don't Judging want by something <laughs> <else> I've seen. <laughs> you don't want the whole, like, that's the whole thing with the diversity. But it's like with that child you were talking about, like, are there the schools in place to support someone like him to flourish? And, like, that's, I guess, the responsibility of the parent a lot of the time is to observe who their child is becoming yeah. and to cater to that. And to help advocate for that. Like, I think, like, you know, and it would be lovely if teachers were given permission. Like, we're, we're, we're prescribed you teach this thing, this amount of time. Yeah. Um, it's not a lot of freedom. Yeah. So, but imagine if you had, imagine if that kid had a teacher at a school 
who loved art. You know, mm. I worked with a woman last year who was an amazing artist mm. and, um, you know, she she was like, well, do I leave teaching and just become an art teacher? You know, like she, she mm. would be phenomenal about that. Imagine if we could match those kids up, mm. not just through, through an enrichment program, but mm. in a classroom where she said, right, every day before we do writing, we're going to work on an artwork over the week or, mm. or however long kids wanted to work on it mm. and really start to express themselves and use that as a springboard for mm. writing. You know, and there, there is starting to get to mm. be a little bit of that flexibility in there. Not enough mm. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and I, I think kids like that really suffer because of it. And then Australia suffers because of it. What if we'd have had one of the best artists that's, mm. that's ever lived? Or what if we had someone who ended up going in and being a creative director of one of the largest companies and really transforming transforming mm. something? You know, And you look at the new technologies that are coming out and it's like we have no idea what 5G is going to do. When 4G was launched on mobile phones, mm. we didn't have streaming, you didn't have Instagram, yeah. you didn't have all of these stories coming through think about the amazing content that gets produced on tiktok now the, yeah. the hilarious content and look a lot of it is mind-numbing i don't <laughs> deny that yeah but there's a there's an element of creativity there that's mm. that's so huge and so unharnessed mm. what could that kid do with this yeah you know and it's like I just feel like we're doing ourselves a disservice mm. for it. Yeah. But and that, like you said, that's what parents have to do. They have to advocate for yeah. it. And again, it's giving that kid time and space yeah. to create. Yeah. Cool. I guess like, let's wrap up with this final question. Um, I think what it's like kind of just to what I've just heard from you is that we can't put the pressure of a child's entire education on schools. Like there no. needs to be, there needs to be like, like you said, it's like numeracy, literacy, socialization, routine. There are certain things that can be taught at school. I think that parents and like, I'm not a parent, but I could imagine that I would put a, pre- a lot of pressure on a school to deliver everything my child needs. Yeah. But I guess like, it's about how, like what reflecting on what a school can provide and, if you were dealing with a child who was more creative, what other ways can they be educated outside of the system to kind of support them to be more authentic to themselves? Let your kids have a choice in what extracurricular activities they do. Number one, stop outsourcing your parenting to me, okay? It's not my job Mm. to make your child resilient. Yeah, It's not my job to make your child feel valued and loved Mm. that's your job to do and I can help with that Mm. and every school wants to make sure that their kids feel safe and supported Mm. but stop coming to me saying oh they're being bullied no they're not they Mm. they actually don't have resilience and that's your job to teach them that so that's the first thing is spend time raising your kids yeah but also like outside of that I think a lot of the time parents want to expose their kids to to sport, to music, to something creative, all, all of those things. And while I think that that's great, and I agree, like every kid should have something physically active. And you'll know whether your kid's physically active through play or not. Mm. Some kids need organised sports, some kids don't. Like that's totally fine, but they should be doing something physical. But give them choice in in what they want to do. Like mm. let ask them Mm. you know what what do you what do you want to do Mm. here and I get that for some families like the concept that your kid won't be a doctor or a lawyer or go into finance is maybe not a solution particularly for immigrant families Mm. I think that that's a really tough thing like I bought you here to give you this opportunity and Mm. you're going to damn well take it yeah um but it is it's about you know 
I think sometimes people view kids as really naive. Yes, it's like, it sounds like they need to trust their children more with what the child exactly. wants. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's like the analogy that I like to use is it's like a doctor coming in and saying, right, here's what's wrong with you and we're going to do this, this and this. You're like, mm. oh, actually, like, that's not what I was thinking. Mm. Like, I'm a doctor consults with you, you mm. know, and yes, they're the expert mm. and yes, they know what's going on. And at the end of the day, yes, they do have the, they do have the final decision. Yeah. Um, but you'd be so angry. And I've, I've had experiences with doctors where they've come in and they haven't consulted and you're like, well, I have no idea what's going, what are you doing? What treatment are you, are you using? Mm. All of those things. And that's incredibly frustrating. That's what your kid might feel like every time. Mm. You, you've got to ask them, what do you want to do? Mm. What do you think the solution is? And again, it comes down to giving them that time. They may not have the answer mm. straight away. Or they, part of the process might be trying out their solution and watching it fail mm. and then asking, well, why didn't it work? What yeah. do we do here? You know, that, that in itself builds creativity because you might try something five times and all you've learned is five ways not to do it. Mm. But it's encouraging you now to think outside of the box. Mm. That's how you build that creativity in mm. your kids. Mm. And you have to trust them. They're not naive. They're pro in some ways, kids are much more switched on than you are. Because yeah. they're not conditioned to look for particular yeah. things or ignore certain things. Yeah. A kid will tell you if they don't like a person because they're mean. Mm. Whereas we may, might look for excuses why or, mm. or, or different reasons why. And don't get me wrong, like... For the same reason that we don't let kids vote and drive mm. because their brains aren't fully formed yet and they don't have those ideas yeah. yet. But it doesn't mean that we should discount them. No. Um, you know, they're little kids, you know, but they're not dumb. No. You've got to trust them and, and ask them, have a conversation with them. And I see so many parents and it's, and it's just... And look, in saying that, I also always tell families, a family is not a democracy, a family mm. is a benevolent dictatorship. At the end of the day, what you say goes. But that, again, goes back to what we're talking about, having firm boundaries. Mm. If you've got those firm boundaries, let your kids do whatever they want mm. within that, mm. you know, and they can do that. But, yeah, have a conversation with your kids, consult with them, see what they want to do, build up those strengths. Mm. Um, and, look, balancing between perseverance and something that a kid doesn't want to do and, and, you know, genuinely taking them out of something because they're over it, I don't know where that line is and I don't think anyone has a solution to that. Yeah. But, yeah, it is just just talk with them, yeah. let them go, let them make the mistakes and, yeah. and go from there. Cool. Thank you so much. I feel like so, I don't know, educated myself after hearing all that because I think as adults often, and that's why I was interested to know why you went to teaching because a lot of adults didn't enjoy their school experience or mm. didn't, and also we have the negativity bias. So we sort of remember the bad things and we come out and we're sort of sending our children into a system that we're not necessarily confident with. Yeah. And I think it's really been interesting to hear about kind of more of the complexities of it. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, the other thing on that is, yes, everyone has a everyone has a bad experience with school, but everyone also remembers their favourite teacher. Yes, and who, who was, was your, your favourite? <laughs> ah! <laughs> you go first. My favourite teacher at school. If I had to, if I had to narrow it down to one, yeah. Um, like of it, my kindergarten. Okay, I'm gonna. I know I can't narrow it down to one. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go through a few. Okay. My first teacher was Mrs. O'Connor. Mm -hmm. She was a kindergarten teacher, yeah. and I loved her. 
She wore the most beautiful makeup and the most beautiful clothes. It was probably average, and I just, but you know, like I just, I used to love. You're inspired by her. Oh my God. She was, and then my mum ended up working at the same school as her, and I got to go back and see her as an older person. And um, I remember telling her, like, I just, I absolutely loved you, and you made me love school. Yeah. Uh, So there was her. uh, And then I had. I had some really mixed experiences with teachers from then and then it wasn't until year 11 and 12 and I, I went to a like to a year 11 and 12 high school um, and I had two teachers. I changed into an English class with Mrs. Zayetz and she was just incredible. She really got me mm. and sometimes she would – because I skipped a lot of school as well. Okay. Uh, she would walk through in the hallways of a morning and I'd say, morning, Zena, because we got to call her by her first name. Yeah. She'd say, morning, Wayne, are you coming to class today? I'm like, no, I'm not. She'd <laughs> hand me my work and she'd like, this is what we're doing. You need to read this thing yeah. and do blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So she was great. And then um, I also had another teacher, Mrs. Johnson, Um, I ended up going through like three French and German teachers in year 11 and 12 and um, ended up with this woman, Mrs. Johnson, who was just phenomenal. She treated you like a real person. Yeah. um, But there was also no bullshit with her either. And she knew that I would only ever go to one of the two classes throughout the day. And it was the earliest one, unless it was first period, then I wouldn't go to that either. <laughs> um, but she was someone else who really made sure – and I, I got really great grades mm. in both of those classes mm. because she made sure that I kept up with the work and mm. kept doing it and she let me work in my own time. Mm. She could see that flexibility mm. there. And did she do a job? No, she didn't. She didn't make sure that I was in class. She didn't yeah. follow up on all of those things. Mm. But she did make sure that I was engaged mm. and she made sure that I was learning mm. and she made sure that I always had someone to talk to there mm. as well. It sounded so, like – the kind of theme between those people is like acceptance like they really accepted you for what you were doing and who you were because I was the kid who didn't do particularly well at school sometimes yeah Uh, yeah and it it was like it's it's just that that rebellious attitude as well yeah and it was it's like just accepting it and and but still encouraging and engaging you know that's part of acceptance I think though it's sort of like there is a level of trust in acceptance because it's like you know, I'm not going to treat you like a child, even though you are a child. I know. I, <laughs> but it's like, I agree. Like my favorite teachers were at my year 11 and 12 school. Yeah. We were on first name basis with them all. It was a different system. It was very different to traditional school. And the independent, it was the trust. They trusted you um, to while take responsibility. Recogni- yeah. They recognized your limits, but they yeah. also recognized your capability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, like my favorite teacher was my English teacher in year 11 and 12, Kirsty McCrudden. And it's because she encouraged me. And she also, um, it's just the way she taught. I think she just was so passionate about everything we we're doing. Yeah. That always transfers. Like I really got turned off maths because I had a teacher in maths in year nine who was just hopeless. <laughs> like yeah. couldn't control the class. And then didn't know how to teach the subject in an engaging way and it's amazing how one bad teacher can actually really have a huge effect on you wanting to continue with a subject astounding because I stopped doing maths after that I thought it was me but it really was the teacher um but yeah like I think there's a level of when a teacher sees your unique capabilities and who you are um because there is so much uniformity about school and you're forced to be that way. Like yeah. I remember at my previous school, St. Leo's College, it was very much like you couldn't express yourself in any way, especially not physically. Like yeah. with the uniform and you can't wear makeup and you can't do this and you have to be this way and you have to put your blazer on after school. And it just felt like... And it works for some people yeah. and yeah. that's 
great. Like I'm not like, yeah, I don't never want to disparage what people do. Yeah. And it works for the majority of people. That's the funny There's thing. There's a reason why it's like that yeah. because it probably does work for the majority. Yeah. But I guess like this conversation, I guess, is aimed at more of an audience who yeah. probably didn't abide by yeah. the rules. Exactly. What do you do for those people <laughs> yeah. who are divergent? Yeah. And that's, yeah, again, yeah. I love that word. It's about mm. trust. It's yeah. about trusting your kids. And you've got to know their capabilities yeah. and, and know their limits. Yeah. But you've got to trust what they, what they say yeah. and what they do. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, my love. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed what we spoke on today, or if it raised any thoughts or questions for you, please reach out. I'd love to connect. You can find my details in the show notes.